Now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier, and thanks for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. I'm your host, Cam Edwards. Glad that you're with us this week. It has been a, a good week. This is actually uh, right up until this evening. This evening has been kind of glitchy, but uh, other than that, I, it's, it's been a good week. This is actually take two of this week's 40 Acres in a Fool because I got about halfway through recording the podcast and I, uh, everything sounded fine, everything looked fine, and then I had to uh, stop and I just went back and listened to what I had just recorded and it sounded like I was coming to you from inside of a tin can. Um, yeah, I don't know what was going on. So I messed with the uh, microphone. Now it sounds much better. So I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm not even gonna try to remember what I said the first time around. This is all ad lib. I mean, I have a general idea of what I want to talk about. Oh, I'll tell you what I do want to talk about. We're gonna, we're gonna be light. We're gonna be serious um, because there's, frankly, you know, this this podcast when I started it 23, four weeks ago was. Uh, Part of the idea was that, you know, it'd be a, uh, a place to go and talk about some lighter things. Um, but, you know, the serious stuff just keeps intruding. The serious stuff just keeps getting more and more serious. And uh, it just at times the lighthearted uh, stuff. Yes, you need it to get through the, uh, the dark times, but um, you can't use it as simply uh, abject escapism. So, yeah, we, we have some lighthearted stuff. We have some serious stuff to talk about as well this week. But uh, I don't want to start too serious that's uh and that's no way to start a podcast so we'll start light uh we will be talking bacon this week i can tell you that because we were uh smoking some bacon smoking ham in our uh electric smoker we bought on clearance at uh tractor supply last year by the way one of the best clearance purchases ever because it works so well and the bacon tasted so awesome but uh, mostly, it's been veggies. I'll be really honest with you. There's been a lot of vegetables uh, around the farm. The uh, tomatoes are now coming in. Uh, half of them, maybe, are coming in. Actually, let, let's let's talk about this because I need your help with something. This is our third growing season uh, on the farm, and every year we've had problems with something. Right? We've never had a year where everything is grown and we've gotten everything that we put into the ground. Uh, first year it was cabbages. We had issues with cabbages getting eaten by bugs, getting eaten by bunnies. Uh, we've had problems every year with large tomatoes being eaten by critters. And so we don't really grow a lot of large tomatoes. Frankly, they don't eat the cherry size or the grape tomatoes. They don't eat the, uh, the smaller paste tomatoes, but man, they just can't stay away from a round green not even ripe yet tomato. So we don't have a lot of those. We we learned our lesson there. But this year, we've been having trouble with everything growing on like half of our garden. The north side of the garden is not growing as well as what's growing on in the, uh, the, south, the southern side of the garden. And it doesn't really matter what we're talking about. Looking back now that I think about it, when, even the beets that we planted, uh, we got more beets the further south down the garden you went. In fact, our, our uh, garlic that we planted didn't even, didn't do anything. Uh, the tomatoes that we have on the north side of the garden right now are, they're there. They're not dead, but they're puny. They're less than half the size 
of the tomato plants that we have on the uh, south side of the garden. So, so what's different between these two sides is what I've been trying to figure out. We, now, we're having problems throughout the garden, uh, particularly with the tomato plants, because of how wet it's been. So I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. The problem is not abated uh, at all, really. We've got dying leaves. We've got uh, yellow branches uh, starting from the bottom of our tomato plants and then uh, working their way up. And that's on almost all of our plants, no matter what side of the garden it is we're talking about. So that that's a separate issue, and I understand that issue. What I can't figure out is why one half of our garden is doing so much better than the other one is, except that there's there's one thing that I, I know is different. I wouldn't think it would make this big of an impact, but, but maybe it, it really does. That side of the garden, the south side of the garden, was the last place that we had our hogs uh, before we turned our garden into a garden. The uh, the first year right after we moved, we uh, that was one of the first things we did. Actually, we moved in January, and uh, by February, we had our first hogs. And uh, we were a little concerned about ElectroNet because we were stupid uh, and, and, and just kind of paranoid uh, about the, the hogs somehow getting away uh, out through the ElectroNet. So we, we thought we needed something more physically secure than electricity. We know better now. Um, and so we had a dog kennel that the uh, hogs were in, and we would move this kennel around uh, every couple of weeks so that the hogs had fresh grass. So the area that they were in last... Uh, is the area that's doing best. But again, it's been a couple of years since they've been there. So I, I wouldn't have thought it would have made that much difference. Uh, there is one other thing, though. That is also the side of the garden that we were able to put compost down. Uh, and we ran out of compost, and we didn't put compost on the north side of the uh, garden. So again, I, I would not have thought that uh, bags of compost would have made uh, as much difference as you see between the two sides of the garden, but I can't think of anything else, uh, frankly, that could be responsible for the the puny state of my uh, tomatoes, which, by the way, are actually punier than they should be. They really are tiny and, and scrawny and small on the north side of the garden, and these majestic, towering, flowering tomato plants that are on the south side of the garden, I unless it's compost, unless it's the uh, the extra manure, that's making it grow so big. Uh, but if you have any theories, if, if you have any suggestions, I would love to hear them. I could use your help. The uh, email address, as always, is 40acrefool at gmail.com, 40acrefool at gmail.com. And it's not as if the uh, the garden is doing uh, horribly. Even the scrawny tomato plants have tomatoes on them. They just don't have a lot of tomato plants on them. Now, the big, robust tomato plants that we have. Um, we picked our first Amish Gold Slicer today, which is uh, actually a bigger tomato. And so far, the bunnies have avoided uh, eating the Amish Gold Slicers, which is good. They're also tall enough that uh, the bunnies can't reach all of the Amish Gold Slicers. So I finally have a tomato that was uh, big enough to put on a sandwich. It's the one thing I, I don't like about the uh, the grapes and the cherries and the smaller tomatoes. They, they're not you can't make that's you can't make a tomato sandwich out of them. They're too small and round. You'd have to put them on a cracker or something. That's no good. But we did get a uh, Amish gold slicer. Have uh, uh, several uh, varieties of these smaller tomatoes that are very very pretty. 
uh, actually, uh, almost iridescent, uh, bright red with these sort of uh, orange and yellow uh, iridescent stripes running down them. They're called uh, bumblebees, and then uh, I think tigers are the other uh, variety. They're more of a uh, an oval tomato. Delicious as well, by the way. There have been several evenings where I've just had tomatoes for dinner, uh, and it has been fantastic. So we are getting uh, a lot of bounty from our garden right now. I haven't picked any tomatoes. Excuse me, I haven't picked uh, any potatoes yet. We've been picking a lot of tomatoes. The cucumbers are uh, coming up. We've been doing a lot of canning. Uh, six pints or so of tomatoes already canned. That's pretty early because we'll be canning probably until October. So uh, a lot of our friends might be getting ketchup and uh, tomato sauce and tomato paste <laughs> and canned tomatoes for Christmas presents this year, if you like that sort of stuff. We'll also probably be giving away some pickles because we made some bread and butter pickles. Uh, we're making some dill pickles with uh, cucumbers from the garden. So uh, all of our friends can expect to enjoy some homemade treats for the holidays this year because I think we're actually going to have probably too much uh, for us to use uh, all winter long. We we actually still have some uh, tomatoes that we had canned last fall that we have uh, yet to use. So it's it's been good. It's been a uh, been a very uh, productive week on the farm. Feel like uh, starting to turn a corner, getting ready to start planting the fall uh, food as well. The beans and the peas and Brussels sprouts, which I, I was always I don't know about you. Brussels sprouts were those foods growing up. You just it just sounded gross. I didn't want to eat it. And I'll be honest with you, the few times that I did eat Brussels sprouts when I was a kid, they did nothing for me. So I was never uh, really eager to uh, to eat Brussels sprouts as an adult. Uh, but we bought some at a farmers market. Uh, we I think it was the first spring that we were here at the, on the farm. And we've been reading about pickling all kinds of stuff. I'd just taken a pickling class, I think, with Lisa De Pasquale, and uh, decided we were going to pickle Brussels sprouts, and we did. And they were they were fantastic. They were like little pickle bombs. It was amazing. You can uh, slice them in half, and you can use them as a garnish for Bloody Mary. Oh, it's amazing. So we are growing our own Brussels sprouts for the first time. Uh, and that's a, a definite fall crop, so we've got to get those planted in the ground here in the uh, next week or two. Uh, but for the most part, you know, it's 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 a matter of weeding, keeping up with the weeds, uh, getting down to the garden every afternoon, and uh, making sure that we're picking all the uh, tomatoes. The blueberries are mostly finished. Uh, the the bushes are certainly a lot calmer than they were a, a week or two ago when we were picking. Uh, pounds of blueberries every day just off of six blueberry bushes i mean it's really amazing the amount of fruit that you can get from uh, not a lot of bushes so uh we did have a request for uh miss e's recipe for blueberry jam i'll see if we can uh share that in an upcoming episode of 40 acres and a fool uh we should probably take a time out but when we come back here on the program we're going to talk about making bacon because that is also what we did this past weekend. Not just bacon, as a matter of fact. We uh, smoked some ham as well. So when we come back, we have all of the delicious details of that uh, culinary adventure. Stick around. There is much more 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network coming up right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. 
Jeff Fisher Show. Now, the University of Missouri broke down the types of drunks into four distinct categories. Uh, and this, of course, was published in the Addiction Research and Theory. And, pff, I mean, who doesn't go over that? Scientists surveyed 187 pairs of undergraduate drinking buddies. Now, the findings, you were either a Hemingway, Mary Poppins, Nutty Professor, or Mr. Hyde Drunk. The Jeff Fisher Show. Saturday morning, 6 to 8 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool. Cam Edwards, your host. And while I have been eating my veggies as of late, um, I also got to have some bacon this past weekend as well. And it was fantastic, as always. Now, this was not one of our hogs. Uh, I remember a few weeks ago, Miss E went off to a butchering workshop and uh, actually uh, turned one of our goats into gyro meat. That was also delicious and amazing. Uh, but uh, a, a woman there at the butchering workshop had her, it was her hog that was actually being uh, butchered. And uh, Miss E, uh, is, she's got a reputation for her bacon. She's she's known as a, a bacon master uh, in Central Virginia. And so uh, the woman asked her if she would, uh, undertake the making of the bacon, and uh, Missy, of course, said yes. So for the past few weeks, we have had uh, sitting in brine, just, just soaking it all in, getting ready for the smoker, probably uh, 20 pounds or so of bacon, and then uh, two hams. So there's uh, there's still a couple more hams that uh, that we have to do, and they've just been getting ready for weeks now, just uh, soaking up those juices, and this weekend we... Uh, I uh, got the electric smoker ready, like I said. Uh, found it on clearance last year at uh, Tractor Supply. And, and I, I don't mean to upset any of the purists who say electric smokers are lame. And uh, uh, if, if if I think the bacon tastes good now, just imagine if it was – I understand. No, seriously, I get it. I'd love to have an actual honest-to-goodness smokehouse with the, the floor pit dug out. Now, I mean, I'd love that, but I don't have that. And I don't have I don't think I have the time to, to build it right now. So the electric smoker uh, works very, very well for what it is. Uh, it, it makes the best bacon I've ever had. It makes the best ham that I've ever had. It uh, it does its job pretty well. So we uh, set it low and slow, 170 degrees. I think we were using uh, pecan chips and uh, hickory for the bacon. Uh, maybe even hickory for the uh, ham as well. We've we've experimented with so much: uh, applewood, cherry, pecan, hickory. Unfortunately, uh, locust wood, of which we have an abundance, uh, doesn't really work in the uh, smoker. So yeah, don't don't try the locust uh, tree chips. If you can even get the chips, that is one hard stinking tree when it gets big. Uh, so we uh, let it go for several hours, making bacon all day long. Hams took about uh, five or six hours just to uh, smoke, but. Uh, at the end of it all, it was simply amazing. I think that's not the first time that I've said that this segment, right? See, the thing is, with farm food, there are a lot of things I can't tell the difference. I mean, you could put a cucumber, you could put two cucumbers in front of me and tell me which one was grown on a, a small farm near you in Central Virginia and which one was grown in Mexico. I don't think I could tell you the difference. Uh, tomatoes, I might be able to tell the difference with a tomato. The uh, the the fresh tomato, the one that hasn't come from the store, the one that's not prepackaged, uh, the skin is likely not to be so thick and tough 
Those are tomatoes that are grown for transportation. Uh, give me a, a small salad cherry tomato that you pick up at the grocery store versus a chocolate cherry tomato. Uh, I, 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 there's, a, there's a clear difference. The chocolate cherries, are they're so sweet and they're so plump, but the skins are so thin that they don't transport well, so you never find them anywhere other than someone's backyard garden. Tomatoes, I can tell the difference. Eggs, mm, in color, yes. In taste, I don't know, to be quite honest with you. Maybe. But with bacon, there's there's no getting around it. Store-bought bacon is lame uh, compared to farm-raised, uh, freshly butchered, do-it-yourself, thick-cut American guinea hog or uh, your, your other favorite heritage breed, bacon. There's just, it, really, they're like two different things. The bacon that we made looks nothing like, tastes nothing like, feels, has no, it doesn't even have the same mouthfeel as a, a piece of bacon that uh, you'd find on a burger at McDonald's or even the thick-cut apple with smoked bacon from Oscar Mayer that you'd find in your, uh, your grocery store. It's just completely different. It's going to sound like a weird analogy, but <laughs> you know how... A, a a donut, a nice, hot, fresh, yeasty donut. Not a cake donut, but a yeasty donut. The light donuts. When you bite into that fresh, glazed donut, it just kind of disappears, right? Somewhere. It just vanishes into your tongue. That's what this bacon did. Only it wasn't yeast and sugar. It was unctuous fat and this amazing smoked meat. And it just, you, you took a bite and you just sort of let it sit there on your tongue. And it wasn't, it, it the, the fat didn't coat your tongue. It wasn't, it didn't like cake the roof of your mouth like store-bought bacon does. Mm -mm. It just, just got, it again, soaked in apparently through your capillaries. Oh, I think it's probably really good for you when it soaks in that way. It was, again, it was so delicious. Just melt in your mouth goodness. And we had to give most of it away, which was sad. But, uh, yeah, I think we're going to be able to get, uh, now that we have some refrigerator space, like I said, we have two more hams that uh, Missy e promised to do. So, uh, hopefully, <clears throat> uh, unless she says yes to somebody else in the next uh, three weeks or so, hopefully in about three weeks, uh, we will be ready and we will have the space <laughs> to uh, to actually get one of our hogs done so we can keep all the bacon. Because uh, i got to say, the, the older... I don't even know that I were even that older, I guess. the uh, Just the bigger, the ones that are non-American guinea hogs. The ones that are uh, uh, Berkshire Tamworth mixes. Those are bigger pigs, and they are ready to be eaten right now. They're ready to go. Uh, so we've got to get those uh, done in the next few weeks or so. At least one. Uh, and then we'll probably let the other uh, Berkshire Tamworth mix go for a couple more months. He's actually a little bit leaner, so we'd like to... Uh, like to pork him up a little bit. The American guinea hogs are lard hogs. They they run to fat. Uh, and the uh, Berkshire Tamworth mixes, those are both uh, meat hogs. So they're, they're not nearly as fatty as the American guinea hogs. Bacon still tastes pretty darn good. But there is something about that American guinea hog bacon, the lard hog bacon. You don't get a lot of it. But what you get, again, it's just, it's it's, oh, it's like, it's the best thing ever. I mean, it's just simply the best thing ever. So, uh, yeah, I want I want more, and I want to 
keep it all. <laughs> we'll be giving away we'll be giving away uh, tomato sauce and uh, canned tomatoes and pickles for Christmas. Uh, n- no, we will not be giving away the bacon. You'll have to uh, you have to come to the house to to eat the bacon. One day it would be fantastic to have a, a bacon fest. Wouldn't it just a, a, a bullets and bacon festival in uh, Farmville, Virginia, with the money raised going to youth shooting sports programs or something like that? We should somebody who's really good at organizing stuff. That wouldn't be me. Somebody who's really good at organizing stuff should uh, shall we organize a a uh, bullets and bacon event that we can hold next year? Not 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 this year. I want to make sure that you or whoever would be organizing this, would have the uh, time to actually put it together. Uh, I will say this, though. We do have the Heart of Virginia uh, Friends of NRA Dinner coming up in Farmville, Virginia, in late September. You can find uh, more information at uh, friendsofnra.org. If you are anywhere, I'd say within, you know, three to five hours of uh, Farmville, I would love to see you at our uh, Friends of NRA Dinner. I have received invitations to several friends dinners around the country this fall. I'm going to try to make as many of them as I can, but I'll just throw the invitation out there to you as well. Uh, you are more than welcome at the Heart of Virginia Friends of NRA dinner. Again, you can find out more information at uh, friendsofnra.org. And you can also check out where your nearest Friends of NRA dinner is. Uh, if you can't make it to Farmville, guarantee there's uh, a friends dinner that's going to be relatively close to you within a relatively uh, short amount of time. If you've never been to a friends dinner before, they are fun. They're just fun. Uh, you get a chance to win uh, some fantastic prizes, including maybe win a firearm or two or more. I've never won more than one. In fact, it took me a couple of years to actually win a firearm, but I finally did. Uh, at last year's Friends of NRA dinner in Farmville, Virginia, uh, won a, a Glock, as a matter of fact. So it does happen. In fact, I know people, I, I, when I was in New York a couple of weeks ago, was talking with uh, George uh, from Orange County, New York. They have an event at the Mid-Hudson uh, New York Friends of the NRA dinner. This is an amazing, this is, this is so cool. So one of their raffles that they have is a win everything raffle. Uh, the tickets, as you can imagine, a little bit more expensive. And they do the drawing once a year, and they sell tickets throughout the year. But the winner gets one of everything from the Friends Dinner. Everything. All of the items that were uh, up for auction or up for raffle. All of the firearms. All of the cool things like the Charlie Daniels fiddle or the Ted Nugent guitar. They get one of everything. I'm hoping that we can uh, have that raffle here at the uh, Heart of Virginia Friends of NRA dinner here before long, uh, and I will, I will be glad to uh, take my chances with that raffle. George was just—he uh, was so pleased when he won that. He actually has his picture taken with all of that stuff. And again, you know, every dinner is a little bit different. It's all got its local character and its local flavor. Uh, you've got, uh, but again, it's a great opportunity to meet uh, gun owners in your area. And uh, NRA members in your area, the money that's raised there, uh, half of it, at least half of it, stays right there uh, in your state, supporting the local shooting sports program, supporting local law enforcement. A lot of youth leagues, a lot of uh, ranges get uh, uh, grants from the NRA Foundation through the Friends of NRA Dinner. So it is a fantastic program. It really is a fun way to actually uh, support uh, your right to keep and bear arms. You know, there's certainly the political side of supporting your right to keep and bear arms. But there's also the 
the the the practical and the fun side uh, when you actually go out to the range uh, and you're exercising your right to keep and bear arms when you are uh, exercising your right to carry uh, but when you're supporting the uh, the shooting sports whether it's through uh, in your second amendment rights whether it's through uh, legislative contacts talking with your members of congress writing those uh, very important emails making those very important phone calls or simply getting together with uh, you know, several dozen up to several hundred of your uh, fellow NRA members and Second Amendment supporters for an evening of fun and festivity and freedom. These are all good things, but uh, it's especially nice when you can have a good time while you're making a difference. Right. So when we come back here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network, We'll talk about uh, making a difference. You, you feeling you feeling good about things these days? Just out of curiosity, or are you feeling a little uncomfortable with the way things are going? We'll talk about a new Washington Post ABC News poll that uh, would suggest if you are feeling a little uncomfortable, maybe very uncomfortable, you are far from alone. Stick around. There's much more. 40 Acres and a Fool coming up right after this. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards. On the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. Those those sound pretty good, right? Those must be pretty swell. And Tom Cotton said, tell us what they are. And the White House said, no such deals. Kerry said... No such deals. You're lying. This morning, Kerry said, oh, oh, I guess there are. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks for tuning in to 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. And don't forget, you can uh, get the latest Second Amendment news and information each and every weekday on NRA News Cam and Company. You can find it live 2 p.m. Eastern on NRAnews.com. Also, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific on Sirius XM Patriot 125 and available on demand all the time at iHeartRadio and on iTunes as well. You know, most of the time, uh, and in fact, when we started doing 40 Acres and a Fool, this is, uh, what, uh, now, I guess 24 weeks ago, almost uh, half a year ago, uh, one of the ideas was that, you know, this is going to be sort of a chance to just talk about the the, the light stuff, the silly stuff, uh, and, and the stuff that um, uh, wasn't necessarily the big news headlines, you know, those those family moments and the moments of being a dad and being a husband and being a, uh, a, a, a would-be small farmer and trying to figure it all out. Um, and I still want 40 Acres and a Fool to be that. The problem is that the, uh, the, 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 the rest of the world keeps intruding. It's hard to get away from the rest of the world these days because uh, everything's political now, right? Everything is political. I'm sure the salad dressing that you... Uh, purchases, well, if it's not Newman's own, are you supporting big agriculture? Are you supporting the actors who care about worthwhile causes? Again, everything from your salad dressing to your deodorant, uh, the food that you eat, the clothes that you wear, the guns that you own, the flag that you fly, all of it 
is now political. Oh, the car that you drive, the uh, God that you worship, or the uh, the God that you don't. It's all political. It's uh, impossible to get away. And are you feeling good about this, just out of curiosity? I mentioned this uh, ABC News Washington Post poll that uh, suggests most Americans are not really comfortable with what's going on. In fact, they are a very uncomfortable 63% of Americans responding to this. So Washington Post ABC News poll say that they are uncomfortable with the uh, way things are headed uh, socially in this country. Now, this poll looked specifically at uh, three social issues. That was the question they asked about. Uh, would you describe yourself as comfortable or uncomfortable with the country overall's uh, the the country overall direction on social issues these days? Sixty three percent said they were uncomfortable. Forty seven percent said they were strongly uncomfortable, compared to fourteen percent who said they were strongly comfortable with uh, everything going on. Forty seven to fourteen among the 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 people who feel really strongly about this. And again, overall, 63% say, yeah, not really cool with uh, how things are going. So they looked at Obamacare, same-sex marriage, and the Confederate flag. Fine. But I think you could look at uh, any number of issues and still find this split. Uh, One of the things that, that made me very uncomfortable this week was the uh, news that the Obama administration has decided, sort of unilaterally, uh, executive action, right? No legislation needed, no vote of Congress. Uh, Just uh, to change the oath of citizenship that naturalized citizens take. And removed from the oath of citizenship will be that pledge to serve this country in combat, if called upon to do so, or to serve this country in a a non-combat role, again, if called to do so to defend this nation. That's being dropped out of the oath of citizenship. I feel very uncomfortable about that. And I think a lot of other Americans would as well. You know, when I was 18, I signed up with Selective Service. That was my pledge. That was my oath that if called upon by my country to defend it, I would If I uh, had a religious objection, if I uh, wanted to be a conscious objector, I still vowed to serve the nation in a non-combat role if called upon to do so. Kind of thought that that was one of the things that uh, citizens did. But now, apparently, it's optional. We have the uh, news that the president has uh, told the Social Security Administration and uh, other federal departments, to look for records that could be submitted to the National Instant Criminal Check System uh, to uh, prohibit individuals from exercising the right to keep their arms. I feel very uncomfortable with this, too. Because what has happened is that the Social Security Administration has said, aha, okay, well, the the VA has this program, see, uh, where if you have a fiduciary that's been appointed to handle your finances, maybe you've even been declared 100% disabled, uh, we're going to go ahead and report that to NICS. We're going to say that that has made you adjudicated mentally defective, and you're now a prohibited person. You could appeal. Not many people will, but you could appeal uh, that decision if you want to fight the federal government and the bureaucracy for a, a good year and a half or so. Maybe you'll be successful at having your rights restored. 
The VA has been doing this. They have about 177,000 veterans uh, who have, again, a fiduciary that have been appointed to them who have lost their right to keep their arms. These are uh, not all individuals uh, who are uh, violent, who are untrustworthy, uh, who are incapable of exercising the right to keep and bear arms. For various reasons, they have had a fiduciary appointed to them, and it is now a disqualifying factor. So, again, about 177,000 veterans have already been impacted by this, but now the administration wants to uh, take this one step further. The administration wants to enter in the names of some 4.2 million Americans who have had a uh, a representative payee uh, assisting them uh, with their Social Security to the SSA. The SSA says, well, this too uh, makes you adjudicated mentally defective. Now, adjudicated mentally defective usually means that you've been adjudicated. Instead, we are redefining the bureaucracy. The Obama administration is redefining Uh, what this term means to broaden it to include millions of Americans. I don't feel comfortable with this. I don't know a lot of people who do feel comfortable with this, uh, quite frankly, other than uh, perhaps the uh, anti-gun activists in their ilk. Even people who are not uh, pro-gun advocates are uncomfortable with this because they understand that uh, having a a representative payee that's been appointed to you doesn't mean that you are incapable of of exercising your rights or incapable of living a normal life. So there are a lot of things to be uncomfortable about right now. Uh, You can uh, take your pick of all kinds of things to feel uncomfortable about. I feel uncomfortable that this administration waited, what, five days, almost five days, to uh, lower our flags across the country in honor of the five service members who died in Chattanooga, Tennessee. That makes me uncomfortable. That that was sort of something that the president had to be pressured into. A lot of people had to call for this. Uh, even, the, even the Washington newspapers noted this. After mounting criticism, President Obama ordered flags to be flown at half-staff. Why does it take mounting criticism for this administration to say, uh, you know what, these men who died uh, on military installations, who were attacked because they were wearing a uniform, they were targets because they were serving in the military, that these men should be honored by the nation that they were serving? How does that even... Again, I'm kind of uncomfortable about this. But, you know, we have also seen in the midst of uh, these uh, discomforting developments... We have seen the best of this nation. We have seen individuals and communities come together uh, in support of the men and women who serve in our military. You didn't see a lot of this uh, online, particularly uh, right after the uh, murders in Chattanooga, Tennessee. In fact, um, you know, after 9-11, we had a period of weeks where there was this togetherness uh, that we hadn't seen in the country. We didn't, I don't think we had 10 minutes of that after the uh, news broke about the shootings in Chattanooga. I think immediately 
uh, online on social media, you started and and in the uh, the world of the commentariat, uh, you immediately saw a a taking of sides, a, a pointing of fingers, a, uh, uh, a testing of narratives. Before we even knew the names of those whose lives had been lost, before we knew any of the facts, the uh, commentary had already begun and the uh, spin was already starting to uh, take shape. It was, uh, but but again, that was online in the real world. In face-to-face communications, what you saw were Americans across this country, particularly in a lot of small towns, I do have to note, but across the country, uh, you saw men and women support the members of our military. They turned out at recruiting stations. They were waving flags. They had smiles on their faces. They were offering hugs and handshakes. They were offering to stand guard over the uh, uh, recruiters who were stationed there. Uh, For those of us who may be feeling very uncomfortable, uh, the outpouring of grief and affection and support for the members of our military that we did see from coast to coast, should uh, should give us some comfort. We should take heart. You know, if this poll from uh, Washington Post and, and ABC is uh, correct, 63% of Americans are uh, somewhat uncomfortable the way things are going here. It just seems like things are a little topsy-turvy, and uh, who's going to be the next uh, to be the victim of the Internet mob with the uh, cyber pitchforks and the digital torches? If that poll is reasonably accurate, uh, that would mean a pretty clear majority of the country feels like uh, things are off. And we're not really sure. You know, look, elections are coming up. And uh, we can't sit out the upcoming election next year. In Virginia, in uh, New Jersey, we have elections this year. We have off-year elections. You may have uh, some municipal elections or county elections where you are and we can't sit these elections out. We have to be involved. We have to vote, but we also want to do more, right? Not to, uh, quote, take this country back. It's about acknowledging the real problems that this country faces, uh, right. I mean, this is the thing we 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 know Americans are uh, very distrustful of this uh, deal with Iran, for instance. Uh, we are just not OK with the way things are being handled here. And this includes, by the way, about 40 percent of Democrats, according to this Washington Post ABC News poll, 40 percent of Democrats say they are uncomfortable with the way things are going in this country. Now, that's not a majority of Democrats, but that's a fairly healthy chunk of the uh, Democratic Party who are saying, uh, you know, things just are uh, seeming a little, they're getting a little weird around here. Uh, how this plays out, what this means in the uh, 2016 elections, uh, and even even more importantly, I think, than the 2016 elections, or at least uh, as importantly as the 2016 elections, is how this plays out in communities uh, around the nation, in our in our own neighborhoods, uh, 
uh, and in our own cities and towns. How does this uh, this level of discontent, this this uh, uh, high level of I'm not comfortable with what's going on, how does that manifest itself? How does it play itself out uh, around the country in the buildup to the elections? I think we start to see it, again, in things like what we have seen at recruiting centers around the country, where Americans have come out and, and have said, listen, I have your back. I want you to know that we care about you. We love you. We are glad that you are here. Thank you for serving this country. And we have your back. Because that's what Americans do. It sounds really cheesy. I, I know it does. Um, but you have to be what you want to see. If you want to see this country be a place where we honor and respect our military, then we have to actively honor and respect our military. We, we can't expect our government to do it for us. We can't expect our government to set a good example, which also makes many of us uncomfortable, I think. We have to set that example. We have to be what we want to see all around us. And again, I think that uh, more and more Americans are, uh, are starting to, to take that to heart and are starting to be what they want to see across the uh, the nation. All right, we have to uh, take a quick break. When we come back, you're on 40 Acres and a Fool. We're going to get to uh, some of your thoughts. Stick around. We'll be right back after a quick timeout here from the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Don't miss Pat and Stu. If on the one hand, he's going to build a moat on the border, fill it with alligators, and then on the other side, if you make it past the alligators, then we're going to hit you with an even more dangerous animal, and that's a rhinoceros. If you somehow make it past the rhinoceros, then the United States Marine Corps is there, and they're going to shoot you with guns as you run across. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. It's 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, your host, and thank you again for tuning in. I uh, had a conversation with Marcy on Twitter last week after she uh, listened to the podcast and uh, heard the story of the uh, uh, fella in Virginia that I had uh, read about in this uh, a, a book on the Great Depression and the uh, collection of these uh, interviews of Virginians. Uh, it was, it, Marcy was uh, really touched uh, by this guy's story, and she shared uh, the fact that he had lost uh, so many family members, his kids, his wife, in such a short period of time. And Marcy said uh, there's a cemetery near where she lives uh, with uh, a couple of incredibly old, well, incredibly old for the area, uh, tombstones uh, of these two children who had died when they were, I think, uh, nine and ten. And uh, Marcy said that uh, uh, she goes to the cemetery uh, with, with uh, her kids and they see this uh, tombstone on occasion. Every time she sees it, she uh, she can't help but think about how heartbreaking that must have been 
for the uh, parents of those children. I had asked her if there was a date on the uh, tombstone. She had sent a picture, and uh, she said she it was really hard to read, but she was going to do some investigating, and she did. And uh, dates back to the uh, 1850s. And, you know, Marcy, it, it, it struck me that uh, one of the fallacies that we have about the past is that uh, it must not have mattered that much, right? Uh, parents had a, a different interaction. They just had a different relationship with their kids back then. They had so many kids, uh, and so many of them died in childbirth that uh, they must have just you know hardened their hearts, and it must have. Um, it, sure, it was it was probably painful, but it was uh, would have been much different than uh, than losing a child today. I, I don't know why we would assume that. You know, the, the, the bond of parent and child would be different uh, 150 years ago than it would be today when, first of all, giving birth was was a more perilous uh, activity than giving birth today. Uh, this was not something that, uh, yeah, it, it may have happened frequently. Uh, families may have been larger, but uh, it, it wasn't something that anybody ever took lightly. And because of the uh, high child mortality rates, because losing a child was a very real possibility, uh, and if you were a, a mom, losing your life in childbirth was a very real possibility. Uh, losing your spouse and a child was a very real possibility. It, it, it It's not that their hearts were hardened. Uh, it's that uh, they understood that grief was uh, an inevitable part of life. That there were going to be times that, that life was awful. Uh, and you would be grieving. That, that there were times that life would be a struggle and you wouldn't necessarily know how to get through it. Uh, but you you found your ways. I thought about this. And I thought about Marcy and I's conversation as I read this week a, a new book uh, called The Woman with Seven Names. Excuse me, The Girl with Seven Names by Hyunsoo Lee, a, a North Korean defector's story. Uh, life is a lot better here in the United States than it was 150 years ago. I don't know that you could say that about North Korea. And this story... Uh, Hyun Soo Lee's story of leaving North Korea, the 10 years uh, that it took her to get to South Korea and to uh, help her mother and her brother escape from North Korea. Uh, yeah, I tell you, it, 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 it reads like it is a spy thriller. It reads as fast-paced uh, as a Brad Thor novel, which is high praise indeed, uh, and it's apparently true. It's the, the true story of Hyunsoo Lee uh, and uh, why, at the age of 17, she left this hermit kingdom. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I kind of thought uh, if, if you're defecting from North Korea, uh, you must understand how awful life is. And you must know that there is a better life out there. And you must be consumed with desire uh, to have that better life. And you must have rejected the uh, the North Korean ideology must have rejected the uh, the the god worship of the uh, the Kim family, and no, 
That is not only not always the case, uh, according to Hyun Lee, that is not often the case. Um, it's, it's really, I think, impossible for us to understand what it would be like growing up and living in North Korea under this, not just a, a communist system, but a, a totalitarian system where uh, there is a very clearly defined hierarchy. In fact, you know, communism in theory, uh, everyone's equal, right? Nobody's above anybody else. Uh, as Hyunsoo Lee describes it in The Girl with Seven Names, there uh, is a very strict hierarchy, a caste system within uh, North Korea. Uh, 51, I believe, different grades of, of where you fall on the social spectrum. Uh, going back to uh, what your family did in the immediate aftermath of World War II, did they uh, fight with uh, Kim Il-sung, or did they fight against him? And if they fought with him, they're, they're, your family is, is loyal, uh, and you're much higher up on the pecking order. You can always fall down, you know, if you displease the dear leader. Uh, but you start out, your family starts out, you start out uh, high up on the pecking order. If your family, however, fought against the uh, Kims after World War II, even if that was your grandfather, your great-grandfather, you're probably destined for a life in the mines or uh, working on a collective farm, or maybe just a prison camp. Uh, if your family sat out the war, sat out the conflict, maybe you get to be a teacher. Maybe you can you know, get to the lower levels of the army, the lower levels of the bureaucracy, but you're not going to rise very far. We have, we have concerns. We're, we're somewhat uncomfortable uh, about uh, your allegiance and your loyalty. And this system affects your life every day. It affects your schooling. It affects uh, your job. It affects your housing. It affects you, who you can marry. Uh, this this very tightly controlled society where uh, Yonsu Lee talks about the uh, the the primary thing of importance, the primary things of importance in every North Korean home are these portraits of uh, Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il and uh, uh, now uh, Kim Jong-un. And these portraits are kept spotless. The uh, government actually provides you with a special rag to use so that ordinary household dust doesn't uh, uh, get caught on these portraits. And they'll come into your house and they'll inspect your portraits once a month or so to make sure that you're properly caring for them. The North Korean media covers stories uh, here in the United States, you know, and, and on NRA News Cam and Company, uh, we have our good guy of the day, somebody uh, going above and beyond. They're in the right place at the right time. They do the right thing. Maybe it's uh, breaking a window and in, uh, in a car and uh, helping a, a child locked inside to escape or uh, helping somebody from a, a burning uh, home or helping a dog that uh, has fallen into a canal. I mean, it can be big things. It can be little things. The North Korean media loves to talk about people who have saved these portraits. Uh, if their house is flooding, they'll run back in. They'll come swimming outside with the portraits above their heads, even if they end up drowning. That's still seen as very heroic. Uh, Hyunsoo Lee's dad, their house caught on fire. Uh, he ended up running inside that house. The, the thing that he was looking to save, those portraits of the uh, Kim family. He did. And he was uh, uh, honored by the North Korean government uh, for his dedication and his devotion, as it should be in uh, North Korea, to the uh, to the Kim family.
So it was a, I got to tell you, it was a really stark reminder that, you know, um, we may have had the Great Depression here and things may be uh, very uncomfortable uh, at the moment in our society. It could, and it is a lot worse around the country. Uh, Seon Su Lee fled North Korea, ended up in China, which um, at the end of the day, still has that totalitarian society. It's got a lot softer edges. It's got a lot more neon lights. It has a veneer of capitalism and maybe even of freedom, uh, but it's just a thin veneer. And underneath, scratch it, and you find the iron bars of the totalitarian state. Uh, Hyun Su Lee, uh, who illegally uh, immigrated to uh, China, would have been sent back to North Korea if she had been discovered. Uh, even now, China, I saw just a couple of days ago, has uh, launched a crackdown on, on human rights activists. Some 238 have been uh, swept up. And periodically, the uh, Chinese government will, will undergo these sweeps of dissidents, of uh, individuals who uh, dare to speak their mind, maybe uh, critique or criticize the uh, Communist Party in China, if they're so stupid, or uh, uh, maybe they would consider themselves brave to uh, do so. Periodically, the Chinese government comes along and uh, sweeps these people up, charges some of them, puts some of them, uh, well, we don't really know where. 238 uh, human rights activists, again, I believe over the last uh, few weeks, have been um, arrested. The uh, story that I, I saw earlier this week uh, said that six of them have uh, not been accounted for. There's no sign of any formal charges, uh, which may mean that they're now in the hands of the uh, the secret police or the uh, the political uh, uh, organization there in China. And who knows uh, where or when these individuals will uh, will turn up. Uh, Hyun Su Lee's story of, you know, going from the uh, frying pan to the fire and ultimately uh, that, that, that long journey and that long road towards freedom uh, was very, very powerful. Just as powerful a testimony, I think, as those uh, oral histories of Virginians in the Great Depression. Uh, while the, the, the stories of those Virginians uh, hits close to home, for me anyway, geographically, and it hits close to home because it was the United States. It was also in the 1930s. You know, in the United States today, we have a lot of folks who feel like um, like their fellow Americans are the biggest problem out there. Like, uh, like, like people who believe in the free market or uh, people who might uh, uh, be uh, social conservatives they may go to church, they may be pro-life, they... Uh, may be pro-gun, uh, they may be conservatarian, they may be fiscal conservatives and fairly socially liberal, but you still have a lot of, a, I won't say a lot, you still have a, a group of Americans who say, ah, our fellow Americans are the problem. If we could only get rid of those people, everything would be perfect. What scares me is that is a totalitarian attitude, right? That's an authoritarian attitude. Of it's these people to blame. And if we could only get rid of these people, then our lives, our nation, 
our society, our culture, our planet, whatever, would be so much better off if only those people were gone. It is, uh, again, it's one of those things that makes one very uncomfortable uh, to see that attitude on display as it is uh, on display uh, here in the United States. Now, again, I don't think it's a majority opinion, but uh, it's out there. <laughs> you can find it. Again, just uh, check your social media. And uh, Hyun Su Lee's story, the girl with seven names, should be a reminder, and it should be a very vivid wake-up call uh, to all of us here in the United States, again, who are perhaps feeling uncomfortable with the uh, direction of this country, to appreciate what we have, but also, again, to fight to make it better not to fundamentally change or transform this nation, but to help it continue towards a more perfect union instead. Anyway, if you're looking for a a new book, maybe some uh, beach material or some vacation material, uh, I I would actually encourage you to check out Brad Thor's Code of Conduct. uh, It's one of those books I couldn't put down. I had to read it virtually in one sitting. Uh, But Hyunsu Lee's The Girl with Seven Names is also... A, a gripping page turner. So there you go. A, a couple of uh, selections from the bookshelf. Now, before we uh, go, I also want to say thanks to Tom, who is a longtime listener to Cam and Company and, and an NRA Life member. He said he just found the podcast. He says, I love it. Can't wait for more. It's a breath of fresh air and a, a great compliment to your other show. Thank you so much, Tom. Tom also says, I gave up our cable TV and really into podcasts now. Keep up the great work. Good for you, Tom. Uh, Tom checking in from Colorado. And, Tom, thank you so much, sir. I'm glad that you're enjoying uh, 40 Acres and a Fool. And I'm really pleased that uh, you are a regular viewer and a regular listener of NRA News Cam and Company. Again, you can find that program each and every weekday, the latest Second Amendment news and information, the uh, biggest guests, the uh, biggest stories each and every weekday, 2 p.m. Eastern, live on NRA News. Dot com. Also on demand at iHeartRadio and on iTunes. You can also find us Midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific on Sirius XM Patriot 125. That is about all the time that we have for you on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. Thank you so much for joining us on the program. Now, I'm technically supposed to be off on vacation next week, so I, um, I don't know. I can't commit. All right. I can't commit to a, a podcast next week, but there is, uh, uh, I would say, a very good possibility that there will be a vacation themed 40 Acres and a Fool coming from the Blaze Radio Network uh, in the next week. Until we uh, do talk again, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot, and we'll see you here soon on 40 Acres and a Fool. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.